And we're back with the number one Liberty Lockdown guest. This is true, guy. No one has ever been on more than you. Did you know? No that? shit. Yeah. Man. Oh my god, I'm honored. Yeah. I'm honored. This is great. I think you've been on like six times or something. I think Dave's been on. Five damn. Times. Yeah. So. Um, damn. I think that you know, you you always uh, do a great job of balancing out my perspective on these things, and uh, unfortunately, neither of us have a tremendously optimistic <laughs> outlook, but. Uh, you know, you bring you bring a different uh, variant of my doomerism. I, you know, first off, I wanted to get into the. Uh, well, oh, by the way, Guy Swan is the host of Bitcoin Audible. For those that don't, yes, know, I'm sure most and AI Unchanged now. Yes. I'm one of it's a bunch. Of, it's, it's so funny because like a bunch of crypto bros like switched over to AI when it was like during the hype cycle or whatever. And I started the AI podcast, and so many people in Bitcoin were giving me shit. It's like, oh, Bitcoin's like Bitcoin got boring. You switched over to AI with the crypto bros. <laughs> and I was like, nah, it's the one area that I think is like so insanely valuable and so absolutely littered with noise and nonsense mm-hmm. that it needs it needs a podcast. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, before we before we get into, you know, the economic outlook, I I, I am curious to hear what you think, um, you know, viability of AI, how imminent it is uh, before we hit that <laughs> the exponential growth curve. Or are we already there? What, what's your um, thoughts? So I'll, I'll say a couple of things. One is it's really hard to distinguish what people mean when they say AI um, because I even hated, I almost hate that I had to call, I called the podcast AI Unchained, um, but it was largely because like I hated the term AI for a while um, and now I'm just kind of like indifferent to it. Uh, but if you try to- Is machine learning better? Machine learning is better, but it's such a variety of things. It's like it's like there's been one name given to a whole bunch of really disparate things like vector databases, large language models, machine learning, like just like all of these different elements that are actually individual things. Um, just kind of like like if you had like just some overarching name for apps but you included like some protocols or something it's just it's just vague and most people think of it as large language models like chat gpt and most people think we're trying to build or that what the inevitable result of this is some general ai right is this some like godlike computer that can just do all of the things and i think that's just the totally wrong framing and this was one of the things that i tried to hit at the beginning of the ai unchained show um was that I think it's like the idea, like centralization in the context of intelligence or competition among ideas is actually insanely inefficient. You know, you don't want to be more intelligent than you need to be because intelligent requires an insane amount of computation. You need to be, you need specificity. This is exactly why markets work better as decentralized systems than they do as centralized top-down management systems Mm -hmm. is because it's able to account for and encompass orders of magnitude of singular, like kind of like individual processing, individual situation, individual judgment information by interacting based on that, based on those judgments, rather than trying to have some overarching system that's going to encompass all of the information, it's going to know everything at every little point and every little molecule, and we're just going to manage it from some central database. And so because of that, there's a oh, one of my favorite conversations on this. Jeff Booth was a phenomenal one to start off the show. Uh, but uh, I also had um, uh, 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 Bonsall, um, I can't remember his freaking first name right now. Um, 
Uh, but uh, I had him on the show and we had like a two and a half hour conversation um, uh, on like the nature of intelligence and how like when things get to a point where it's hard to imagine where they're going to go or the idea of like something that is more intelligent, quote unquote, than humans or mm -hmm. more capable than humans at some particular task is that you have to go back. You kind of have to go back to fundamental heuristics um, and just kind of think about like, okay, well, what about evolution? Does like the, the simple fact of the matter is that things that create and are like, I guess in harmony or create some form of order tend to persist because that's what order means. That's what creation means while things that destroy don't last very long. And so whatever comes about in the context of like creating new intelligent systems in software and, you know, uh, autonomous agents, they're going to, the only th ones that will persist are the ones that create more stuff that are just continue to grow. And when they come into conflict that sort out how to cooperate versus be in conflict with each other. Hmm. Um, because cooperation happens to be really profitable. Um, it's largely exploits. It's largely bugs in the system that result in these enormously destructive trends. Fiat is a great example. Fiat is just an exploit between the actual secure security and scarcity of physical money and the need to have virtual transactions. Hmm. It's arbitrage. It's a giant political arbitrage of soaking up the wealth between the genuine settlement of value and the enormous apparatus of digital global virtual like representative transactions that have to take place to keep the economy running. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're rent seekers for monetary, monetary and economic value. Um, and uh, so in that same sense, like AI, uh, and I'm not going to go into the whole two and a half hour <laughs> spiel, sure. but um, uh I think AI is, uh, in a general sense, is just one of the most insanely valuable and versatile modes of software, co of computation. It is a way to kind of take an idea or a concept. It's, it's an abstraction of what we think about as software today, is that we, we have an input and then we have an explicit set of instructions and then it gives us back the output based on those instructions. And now we've been able to abstract that to the context of the, the essentially the mental model, the map for creating the instructions and deciding which instructions are the best instructions to use, whether that's language, whether that's creating an image uh, and, you know, knowing that a cat has pixels in a certain shape and size, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that now basically the realm of technology and the realm of uh movement and innovation in when it comes to machine learning and AI and LLMs and things is in thinking about how to think about things rather than thinking about concrete things. Um, and so it's essentially just opening up. I think it'll be another order of magnitude revolution from a technological perspective as the creation of software and digital environments. Um, and I already use it. It's, it's, it's one of the most predominant tools that I use throughout the day. Um, ChatGPT, I have GPT for all on my computer and I run like four or five different models. I built, I, I, I can't turn it around right now, but I have a machine sitting about four feet behind this camera right here that is about $4,800 worth of investment that will be getting another $2,000 GPU in it soon. Um, and it's all just for running AI for all of my local stuff. Um, and the image diffusion is crazy. It's crazy. I get 
it's going to be one of the things that I did actually. Um, in fact, I'll probably do an episode on this on like how to think about using it. Cause it's one of those things that I, I go back to when I first had a smartphone and I was connected to the internet all day. I, I, I did not have the framing in my mind that this tool is available to me and I forget how to use it. Um, so like we would constantly have these rhetorical conversations in a car before the internet. Right. And you just be like, oh, I wonder what the origin of that word is. And then you're just like, oh, well, we'll never know. And you just go about our day. Um, and now like there was, there was a moment and I remember it specifically. I was in the car, I was sitting in the passenger seat and we had one of those conversations with a rhetorical question to conclude it. And we were going to just have this mystery. What's the Bermuda triangle, you know, um, <laughs> as we, as we went about our day. And then I was like, wait a second, I, I can look it up right now. I, I, right. I can, I can find out. And then I looked it up and then that completely changed my perspective. I have, I can never, I, I we can never have a lost rhetorical question to close the conversation. Now we can always find out. Um, unless you're in the desert. Yeah. In, unless you're in the desert and you have no, <laughs> you have no internet. <laughs> oh, no, it's um, funny, man. Cause I, I remember when, you know, in the nineties, uh, when I was a kid, I was like growing up and yeah, there would be, you would have like genuine, like knockdown drag out debates with friends over things that are, definitely like falsifiable <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, you can just look up in six seconds now and just right, avoid right. the whole conversation yeah yeah it, it's just it's just such a different world um you know anybody born after say, the year 2000 really has never existed in a time where there was like there was genuine like unanswerable things that aren't philosophical you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah yeah, um, yeah it's it's mm. uh it, it's a very it's a very different world well I, I wanted to ask you real quick about the uh you were talking about how you know, the AI that will, will persist, will be the one that creates the most because anything that's destructive ultimately, you know, kind of collapses on itself. I, my, my concern with that is that, you know, if you have an AI system that is put into place, it seems as if it's the most creative, but then it, because it's already learning on its own or, or modifying its own code, uh, if it's put in charge of any sort of, you know, real world, devices that could actually cause significant harm to humanity well what if it's what if we find out that it's destructive at a very bad time yeah so my concern there is for ai to be gatekept and for it to be politically controlled because there is no institution like government and politics that can learn how to take a useful technology and use it to control and kill people right like them <laughs> um <laughs> And so my concern is, and that's why AI Unchained is specifically about open source. It's, it's how, to, how do you host your own AI? How do you make sure that we're not just plugged into Microsoft servers and they're just reading, they have contextual information about every single click and every single word that I type on my computer? Because that, be, that would be a disaster. Um, and obviously, any technology that has unbelievable capacity and uh, um, <laughs> intelligence is something that can be used in an insanely dangerous way. But I also think it's actually, and this, this is fascinating too, because I, my worry was that it wasn't the case and that we were going to have a really uphill battle. But now increasingly, I notice, you know, you know, one thing you'll notice is that there isn't just one provider, is that not only are there numerous but there's literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands like in no time at all there are no walled gardens around this like it's all you need is a gpu all you need is enough computation to turn one of these things on there's like pleb ai 
and sats for AI, which just like normal people with like a computer like mine. I mean, that's what I intend to do with it. Just offering services for image diffusion, for LLMs. And it, it lowers, it so massively lowers the barrier for entry on service provision in the space that I think we're actually, it's actually going to hurt the major platforms more than it helps them. And I also think it will actually be a natural pushback against the kind of toxic bigness of everything that the fiat system has created because, you know, a giant corporation that can use AI to, you know, get rid of like 10% or 20% of their employees or administrative overhead is not nearly the value add as an individual who can get the equivalent of a computer operating as if they have two employees who never sleep, eat, or complain. Mm -hmm. That is a 300%, 400% when we figure out how best to use that tooling for the individual it's a 400% gain, right? right? For the corporation, it's like a 20% margin. Mm. And mm. Uh, in that same way, I think, I think that's really where the heart of all of this like kind of technological push is going to be. Um, so there's and that we're going to see to the to the sole proprietor to to the small business right. to the sole proprietor to the individual and think about it from the context of like if you're constantly training your own and you can build your own systems you can have your own file formatting and all of this stuff and this this AI this this uh, algorithm essentially can basically carry that how you run a business forward or how you set up your life forward well then as long as you can get the model from point A to point B out of jurisdiction, out of bad jurisdiction A and into good jurisdiction B, mm -hmm. you've basically carried so much of your capital with you because it's your administration, it's your management, it's your, your tooling. It, it, it puts software in a whole new era or a whole new zone of capital management for organizing and producing a flow, a workflow yeah, yeah, yeah. of creation. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I think it's actually pairs really, really well with Bitcoin because uh, because there's this two different sides of the capital equation. Right. Being mobile, being digitized right. again. Um, so I, intellectual and monetary, you can just yeah. like pick up and go. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, that's that's fascinating. What, what it reminds me of or what I was thinking of while you're describing it is like, you know, the the early days of the Internet had we I think had we understood you know, what its ultimate capacity kind of all encompassing utilization would amount to, we would have probably put more, or at least speaking for myself, I would have put way more energy into trying to, uh, you know, create businesses there. And 100%. Yeah, I totally you know? agree. I and, totally agree. And, and then the same thing with social media, the advent of social media, you know, had I, had I understood what it would become, I wouldn't have been, you know, posting on Facebook with like my drunk pictures in college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. I would have been trying to create, uh, you know, more of a philosophical outlet for what I'm about mm -hmm. today. And I think that AI presents kind of, once again, a blue water opportunity for those that recognize it for, you know, what it is and what it will become. Uh, I think, you know, it sounds as if you're doing that. <laughs> and I am not, so I may have to talk to you after the show to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and uh, it's it's funny too. Like, so one of the ones that I I hit the other day, having those aha moments of like I've got Google in my phone or I've got Google in my pocket with AI, um, is I mean I've done a lot of them. One 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 of the crazy things is watching the transformation of my computers in like the last four or five months. Like, I'm not a developer. I I, I can. I can read a terminal output, uh, output, I can read a terminal output and I can, you know, write a very simple script if you put a gun to my head. 
um, and say, make this work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm, I can't, I'm not going to build an app. I'm missing so many pieces where the stack is, you know, but if you have just enough literate, like literacy and like technical literacy, and you can read a terminal output, what you can do with something like chat GPT or code GPT or uh, a replit, like some of these like code specific models Mm -hmm. for building apps is incredible. It's incredible. Like I have switched from like, I think five, six, six things on my doc now are apps that I made. And it's going through 20 iterations or whatever to kind of work out all the kinks in it. And I just like something breaks or somebody gives me something, gives me a bad output. And I literally just paste that into the the model and be like, it's not working because this, and it says, Oh, well, I did this wrong. Let's change this and put it in a new location, blah, blah, blah. That's crazy. And I keep doing that. And so like, I have, um, I have an archiving app, um, that everything's drag and drop. All of my stuff is drag and drop. Uh, so I have an archiving app for my, uh, project folders. Um, so when I'm done, like instantly now, when I'm done with an episode, one thing that would kill a day is at the end of a month, I run in a hard drive space on this two terabyte machine, mm-hmm. like without breaking a sweat every month. And then I have to slowly and painfully archive, rename, shift over, move to my Linux machine, 300 gigabytes, 500 gigabytes worth of stuff. And it just killed the whole day. Like I would just run into it in the middle of recording. It says, you're out of memory. And I'd be like, fucking hell. <laughs> and then it's like, all right, well, we'll have an episode on Wednesday. Um, and, uh, uh, and now every single time I do an episode, um, the, I mean, literally the minute that I publish it, I take the entire folder and I drag it to, I, I, I make my own little icons with staple diffusion. So I do my own little image diffusion icons, which is really fun. Um, and, uh, I drop it on this thing I call zip drop. And what it does is it renames it based on my archiving format. It, uh, zips the entire thing. And then it confirms that the original and the zip are the same thing so that, you know, it doesn't that I've got the full thing there and it's, there's no been no error. Then it deletes the original and it moves the compressed file to my archive on my Linux machine. That's and I just great. do that. I don't do anything. So I just, it just does it automatically. Um, and then uh, the other thing that I figured out just the other day was I was having trouble sorting out um, an AI program um, to, to get it running on my Linux machine. And uh, so I was like, and it was funny because I needed my LLM to run to figure out how to troubleshoot my LLM not running. And, uh, and I was like, I was like, son of a bitch. So I went over to Chad GPT and I was like, I'm just going to give all, cause it's, it's brand new. So there's like no docs. Nobody's even running on Linux. There's not even an issue in the GitHub. And, uh, and I was like, so it was a completely brand new problem. I had no idea who to talk to about it and I couldn't search shit. And so I took the entire docs of installing this on Linux and I just kept pasting it block by block into ChatGPT. And I was like, I'm just going to give you all the information I have on this program. Read this and then remember it for a second. And I just kept pasting it all. And then I took my entire terminal output and everything that I did while I was trying to install all the pieces of it. And I pasted that all into ChatGPT. And I said, can you help me figure out what the hell is wrong here and why I'm having an import fail? And it proceeded to piece through all the things, find the errors and say, it looks like you need to update your torch your PyTorch and you need to uh, install something vision. I can't even remember what it was anymore. I did that and it worked. Oh and, God, uh, and so, so crazy. So the, the really funny thing was though, is that I was like, man, somebody should post this on the internet. Like somebody else, there are probably a hundred other people having this problem, but nobody can search it. Right. And I was like, so I'm going to take the time tomorrow. I'm going to write up a tutorial and blah, blah, blah. 
And, uh, and I'm going to, you know, take half a day to figure this thing out. And I was like, wait a second. I have chat. I have an entire chat GPT conversation right here. And I said, can you just take everything that I've posted and break it down to a succinct question and answer, like, like a, like a tutorial process with all of my outputs and all the relevant code blocks so that I could post this somewhere so that somebody else can search it and find it online if they have the same problem. And I said, sure. And he gave like a six step tutorial on how to do it. And I was just like, you have every, you immediately have everything you ever need to make a tutorial for every problem that you ever have, because it's right, it's right there. And Chad GPT can just formalize it into a tutorial thing. And imagine like the, the scope of problems that we have on the computer, probably less than 0.1% actually make it to the internet, right? People just sure. figure it out and they don't know how to record it. Imagine if you could raise that to 10% of all problems get published on the internet so that you can search it. So that yeah. anybody who has that same problem, because the barrier is so low that you just copy it into your language model and say, make a tutorial and then post it. Yeah, that There's just no barrier. That increases like humanity's learning scale the scope of accessing that knowledge right contextually you know like with like knowing why and what it is with no work essentially i mean it's gonna be crazy really it could be people have no idea they have no idea much it could be much more than 10 percent potentially yeah if the you know if there was like some sort of agreement within the ai that you know anything that doesn't have identifiable characteristics of mm-hmm. the user that's entering it just be like any problem that gets solved like we have a right to upload you know yeah. um, a searchable database of how to fix these things but think about that 10 percent is probably two orders of magnitude from yeah. what it is right now you know i'd say, I'd say more probably like yeah. it's so crazy it's so crazy to think about well that's yeah. awesome man uh well i yeah we went <clears throat> off a totally different path than i expected but uh that that was fascinating and, and i love i love you know learning about things i'm totally ignorant to and ai is certainly one that i'm <laughs> obviously not very schooled up on and i'll have to have to tune into you so um all right i wanted to to talk to you about the uh we've we've already seen you know basically every time i have you on we're like we're like closer to oh, shit. Day. things falling apart. <laughs> yeah, it feels like and, <laughs> this time, you know, many of the things that we, um, I don't know if we'd say predicted, but kind of guessed as what might unfold is that you would have, because the inflationary pressure would increase, you'd have to see a, a hiking of the federal funds rate. Um, and then the, uh, the knock on effects from that, you know, I've, I've been warning about contagion effects in, in debt markets and uh you know treasury markets and we're now seeing that to a certain extent it looks like you've got you know 10-year treasuries north of five in some at some period they're very very close to that i haven't checked it in the past couple of days maybe it's yeah, that up. yield curve that yield curve is looking yeah. rough yeah mm. yield curves yield curves inverted mm. it's all it's all really uh basically everything we we warned about is now happening are you sick and tired of big shave yeah me too Enjoy your shave. Send your money to a company that doesn't despise your very being. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Nadeau Shave Co. N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN will get you 15% off. You can minimize ingrown hairs, razor burn, and irritation with their 100% recyclable, plastic-free razors, veteran-owned, family-operated, the best razor I have ever owned. It's a beautiful work of art. And it gives you the best shave you'll ever have. N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com promo code lockdown. Grab one today. 
which is the the libertarian siren song. I told you so, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't change reality. Um, <laughs> doesn't mean anybody's going to listen to us. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter that we were right over and over and over and over and over again. They still will ignore us. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, the bottom hasn't fallen out yet, though. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't seen you know a, a severe recession. We haven't seen hyperinflation. We have seen very bad inflation. Uh, I think we're kind of in that like that middle ground where you have inflationary pressure that's trying to be offset by a really elevated interest rate policy from the central bank, and you know it hasn't really sorted itself out yet. Is, is yeah. That- is that your perspective as to where we are right now? Yeah, it it it's it's not yet broken. You know, like right. when you're talking about like the controls on the interest rate, you're talking about price controls on time. Mm-hmm. Is is what's the cost of using capital today that we need next year? And so specifically the imbalance is something that does not occur until time passes and you 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 have these essentially these time locks in monetary and business relationships start to close and then refresh. And so any sort of imbalance like this takes enormous amounts of time to unfurl because you're talking about billions of people and trillions of interactions at this level of I'm planning for tomorrow, I'm planning for next week, I'm planning for a year out, I'm planning for 10 years. So it just takes a long time to start to, so whenever, you know, whenever somebody's like, oh, I have this policy and then six months is like, everything's great. It's like, bitch, what happens in six months doesn't has nothing to do with what you fucking did six months ago. You know, like, well, um, I mean, and it's so provable too, because most, most debt contracts are, are years long, if not decades. Yeah. So it's absurd yeah. to go like, oh, well, we hiked to claim hiked. victory because you, you had a trend going down and then you made some big change and it kept going down. It's like, uh, you, you, you have nothing. You, you have, you're not even involved yet. Like, no, it, like it you're, you're crazy. You're it's changing so the, the policy on the fo- on the froth, and the whole beer is still just yes, is still exactly, ready to be changed. Exactly. But the the uh, you know you have Janet Yellen, you know head of the Treasury, simultaneously saying we can afford not just one but two more wars, guy, two. Uh, and if there's two, that means there's probably three or four because then you're talking World War stuff. And mm-hmm. and I just couldn't disagree more. I mean, if you actually look at the the balance sheet for banks. Uh, now, granted, it's not being marked to market, so you have you know a lot of a lot of these debt instruments that they that they invested their you know liquid capital into uh, when rates were very low. Well, they're now you know very 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 in the red <laughs> yeah. because because for my audience's understanding, you know, if you have a debt instrument that you acquire at um, you know say two percent and then it goes up to six percent, uh, well, you have to if you want to get out of that debt instrument or investment. You, you have to sell it into the market, which means you're going to have to take a haircut. So if you were to actually liquidate the, the long-term uh, investments of most of the banks, they, they have massive losses that they're yep. not able to realize. And we, you and I talked about this with Greg Foss last time. He was on, and, and it's like, yeah, well, everything, everything we, we were talking about then is still the case, and it's worse. And yep. I just don't see how yeah. that doesn't end up in disaster. Yeah, I think um, if you look at yields and you look at like where money is shifting right now, it looks like we're moving into the curve that usually coincides with that like that hockey stick, that kick up uh, in which you have a recession, um, just a, a really serious recession. And I think right now it's funny because if, if you look at just kind of like debt overall, there's there's a mental framing that I think is wrong, that is extremely prevalent. 
And, uh, and this is actually the, the video that I haven't finished editing yet. Um, I'll be publishing uh, this probably in the next couple of days. Um, but uh, it's about just like conceptually, what, do we, what should we think of as debt versus savings? Is savings is literally just the, the monetary result of creating more stuff than you consume. You created more stuff than you destroyed, right? So if you make 10 sandwiches and you only eat eight of them, you have, you have two sandwiches in savings. You have a surplus of two. And debt is the opposite, is that if you eat 12 sandwiches and you only produce 10, well, then you have two sandwiches of debt. If we systemically, like overall, go into debt constantly, all that debt is recording is the amount that we're of stuff that we're destroying that we're not putting back. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's, it's just, so it's not that societies collapse under too much debt. It's that the debt is just the accounting of how much we are eviscerating society. So the idea that we can just endlessly go into debt and it doesn't matter is the concept that we can just endlessly eat more sandwiches than we make. And we won't eventually just fucking starve. We will, that will happen. And uh, Do you what, hear him, America? We don't have enough sandwiches. We don't. We need more sandwiches. <laughs> Everyone, stop what you're doing and make sandwiches. Um, but uh, if only it was that easy. <laughs> in a way, it sort of kind of is, mm. though. Um, but uh, so when you're looking for where something has gone wrong, you have to like make sure that the mental model is that you're looking for the where the resources have flown out of. So in the case of like the U.S., if you look at the bigger picture, we've mostly eaten the foreign world right we've we've eaten the developing world we've eaten china's sandwiches and washing machines and all of this stuff and we've exported the loss the net destruction of stuff um and uh but it's also at the same time that we've had a technological revolution in the sense that we also increasingly get more productive so that we can steal more and more stuff we can continue to eat more and more without without it being completely obvious for a very long span of time that we are just destroying stuff on net. Right. Um, and so um, uh, going back to the idea of like the yield curve and where we are in the debt and like credit situation is we're reaching a point where the debt is just so big and there's so many cracks in these, these kind of fiat structures. And then also the geopolitical stuff is breaking down. This is this is very largely what we talked about last time on the show, but it's just that the the credit rating, so to speak, the the mental credit rating of all of the western world is just slowly falling apart. The only reason the dollar has stayed so active in such a huge part of the global system, uh in fact, I think even more transactions internationally are happening in dollars than they were a few years ago. It's actually increased to a certain degree. Is just because it's still the best in the giant pile of shit. You know, it's the least stinky poo on the big pile <laughs> of dookie. And, it still doesn't uh, smell good, folks. <laughs> um, and so people are rushing to that. And that's why it's, I'm very, very curious. Because one of the big things is there's been a huge outflow of deposits in banks. Um, and just like basically withdrawing, which is why we had the, the whole round of... Uh, you know, smaller and medium-sized banks collapsing. Um, I think the last number that I saw was like $900 billion, which back in 2008 was the record of out- deposit outflows, and it was like 70. So it's like, it like more than 10x. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
But then at the exact same time, uh, I think they're calling everybody's getting out of bonds. They're moving money out of money market funds. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, which is why the yield is going up, right? Interest rates skyrocket when nobody's buying. Uh, and then you look at something like China and there's like out, there's like huge outflow uh, of capital in China that's increasing. Uh, and I think it actually kind of coincides with the Bitcoin price, which is interesting. So it's, it's hard to make a direct connection there because Bitcoin is so global. Um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting. It's, it's just interesting to see, you know, correlations like that, because right now Bitcoin has largely been correlated to looseness in monetary policy. And I've been waiting for signs to see that separate. Mm -hmm. And I've been increasingly thinking that like even during this bear market, it'll probably be until the money printer really comes back on and they decide to lower interest rates to try to be like, we're not the ones that caused the recession. It was the other guy or the next guy, <laughs> you know, whatever the hell, whatever the hell they're. Uh, the Putin they, price hike. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think the wars are just how do we excuse printing money? Like, like how do we print money without telling people that we're printing money? How do we make it look like it's not the economy? It's not the fact that we're about to go into a recession, a big depression. It's clearly these bombs over here right. that no, it, are it's, causing, it's run, it's run, are these evil people that we have to bomb. It's running QE through Northrop Grumman and Boeing. And, you know, like, yeah. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's basically how, how it works. It, it masks the same process of pumping additional fiat into the system. Mm -hmm. Well, it, for my audience uh, that hasn't been paying attention, the, the Bitcoin price is in U.S. dollar terms is up 20% over the past five days. Um, and you were kind of already hinting at perhaps maybe why. Is is it possible to see where Bitcoin is being purchased on the blockchain? Can, can we actually track that? Sort of. Not really. Okay. Um, we can't really see what purpose it's being used for. And uh, one of the really crazy things is that during this bear market, um, since, you know, 2021 ish or so, when it's been mostly down, mm -hmm. um, is, uh, we've actually seen the largest outflow. I think we're at a record, a record amount now outflow of Bitcoin out of exchanges, um, which the centralized exchanges are kind of our one window into who's buying and where is it, you know, uh, right, 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 right. um, or our very explicit window into that. Um, and, uh, so it's really hard to, I think it's a flight to, I, I don't know what the hell, uncertainty. I think largely Bitcoin is becoming, I mean, and that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of money, right? Like that is monetization, is the reason we all hold money and the reason money is so valuable and the reason money eventually becomes a unit of account is because it is the least uncertain good in the market. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the one that you know above anything else there's going to be liquidity for there's going to be a way to get something else for it and thus because value is purely relational like i can't know what the value of a phone is unless i know how many hours i work or like what it does for me it, there's no objective value it's just comparative value mm -hmm. um so because of that we have to have something to compare to therefore the most universal least uncertain good is the one thing that actually makes sense to price against um so as money becomes a, I mean, excuse me, as Bitcoin becomes a flight to, well, I know the blocks are going to keep coming in. I know this shit things, I don't know what the hell is going on with this war. I don't know what the hell in the geopolitical environment, but I should probably get a little bit. I should probably just hold on to just a little bit of this. It's increasingly becoming the 
a, a less and less uncertain good in yeah. this entire system. So the the really interesting development that I'm curious about is when rather than picking the worst poo on the pile of dookie uh, is, is there actually something that doesn't stink that we can hold on to? But if it's brand new and you don't know, it does, it doesn't even look like a turd. And all we invest in is turds. You know, it's just, it's strange. So, and unfamiliar to people. I'm so like eating shit. I, I, I listen. Know. Okay. My shit sandwich is the best shit sandwich. And so like, it's, it's just really unfamiliar territory. Like anymore. I'm totally confused. <laughs> it's that take. Why, why is that? Why is that turd flat? And, and why that's a, that's a weird turd. Um, Oh so, uh, well, so wait, real, real quick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my buddy was, uh, messaging me, I think it was actually last night, maybe it was two nights ago mm -hmm. saying what the hell's going on with the price of Bitcoin. And you know, this is what happens anytime a libertarian, <laughs> any, anytime there's an economic thing that happens, you know, you, all your friends start messaging your, the libertarian friends going, Hey, tell me, explain this to me. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my thesis, and I have no real reason to back it up, uh, or real like hard support as to my, why I believe this, but you know, I I'm looking at it like, well, we have a hot war in the middle East. Uh, we have another hot war between Russia and Ukraine. America is funding, uh, basically both sides of, or three sides of the four. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it, to me, it's just a, it's probably a hedge against World War Three, and, you know, the printing press getting turned back on full steam because ultimately you're going if you try and truly fund all of these wars, uh, I think that you would end up having to monetize the, the debt and have yeah. the central bank step in or, or the Treasury step in and start to acquire uh, treasuries. Um, so that's that that was my reasoning. But I'm curious if you have any. A, you know, pushback or addition. I think that's the larger systemic, uh, a, a larger and growing systemic piece of the puzzle. Um, but it's still small, um, in the overall picture of things. And it's mostly in Bitcoiners. And that's that mostly lies in people, people who have been here three years or longer, I think. Okay. And, and there's less of that in the immediate history. Yeah. The and more right of now. what happened in the last like two weeks is. I, th I think there's some quote unquote insider trading. I think there's a lot of buzz. I think there's going to be an ETF soon. Um, and uh, cause uh, I think it was GBTC, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember one of the like dozens and dozens of ETF proposals that got rejected sued the SEC and like a couple of months ago they won. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was basically determined by the court that like th they have no grounding to actually not let this be an ETF like they were just making up rules and then just saying that like oh it's volatile or whatever it's like it's like literally they more than they orders of magnitude more than agreed and put in all the safety and all the everything that you require you're just picking and choosing um and you or you don't like beat uh beat uh bitcoin or whatever mm -hmm. um and then uh blackrock is doing an etf and they have their proposal um, and, uh, which fucking, I just, I wish it wouldn't get approved. I wish nothing would get approved and we'd, we'd stay low for longer and BlackRock would get their asses handed to them. I don't fucking want them on an ETF, Me but too. anyway, um, so I think they're happen? also just having an enormous amount of political power. And so yeah, things are starting to falls are starting to drop there. Um, and so we'll probably get an ETF soon. So the thesis being that there will be a flood of, of additional investor capital that will hit the Bitcoin 
price. I think there's a lot of institutional and like pent up demand that has been waiting for uh, a viable notion or, or, or viable indication that an ETF is on the way um, and they're trying to front run it uh, yep. because and in fact, there was a somebody posted something from the ETF proposal by BlackRock. Um, and apparently somebody, somebody meticulously went through this thing. I didn't even read that shit. Um, uh, meticulously went through this thing with a comb and found a thing that apparently in October, they said they were going to start positioning. Like they had to publicly say, like, we're going to be buying Bitcoin in October, apparently. Um, or at least that's what the indication was. I didn't dig really hard into it. I saved it to go back to later. Um, but, uh, uh, it seems like the, at least the thread and other people, seem to be reinforcing the fact that it that looked like an indication that BlackRock was saying in October, mid to late, we're going to be buying Bitcoin for our ETF. Um, so that, yeah, that, that could be the if you've got if you've got a good floor of this, like recurring purchases and you've just kind of increased that, you can't make more Bitcoin, man. All that can happen is the price adjusts. Exactly. Well, that, that's a perfect explanation. I'm sure my audience will appreciate it. And honestly, <laughs> it makes me feel better that it's not just people hedging for World War III. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't I, think. That's why I was looking at it. I was like, I need more Bitcoin because we're going into World War. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, um, man, some of this shit is yeah, nerve wracking. Well, yeah, no kidding. Mm. Speaking of, uh, here is Secretary of State Antony Blinken today. We're all determined to prevent this conflict from spreading. No, you're just, this yeah, goes right. to the principal response. The thing that we started. <laughs> the Security Council, maintaining international peace and security. A broader conflict would be devastating, not only for Palestinians and Israelis, but for people across the region and indeed around the world. To that end, we call on all member states to send a firm united message to any state or non-state actor that is considering opening another front in this conflict against Israel, or who may target Israel's partners, including the United States. Don't, don't throw fuel on the fire. These motherfuckers put two the arrogance. Carriers, two carrier strike groups in the Mediterranean. <laughs> don't throw additional fuel on the fire. Uh, Please, we don't want our gasoline to catch fire, too, because oh, we poured man. a lot of it on there. No kidding, dude. We have fucking we have a base in Syria, for God's sakes. We still have bases in Iraq. We have bases all over the fucking Middle East. And yeah, they they need to not throw fuel. Sorry. I'll that is a statement of, the of that is a statement of. Please, Jesus, the people who are sick and tired of watching us do all of this, please don't do the same thing that we do. Exactly. That's what We're they're the saying. We're the only ones that are allowed to do this. Yeah. Do as we say, not what we do. We realize how bad this is going to get if you do it too. <laughs> exactly. In particular, have a special responsibility to prevent this conflict from spreading. I look forward to continuing to work with my counterpart from the People's Republic of China to do precisely that when he visits Washington later this week. Now, it is no secret to anyone in this room or on this council that for years, Iran has supported Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, and other groups that continue to carry out attacks on Israel. Iranian leaders. Is, is it a secret that the United States has been supporting fucking ISIS and, <laughs> and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban? I mean, this is such a perfect example of uh, we got bombed by Al-Qaeda there in uh I can't even remember what country Al Qaeda was largely in. 
It wasn't either, I guess, partly Afghanistan, but it wasn't, wasn't it even somewhere else? Wasn't Pakistan. it Pakistan? It was yeah. Pakistan, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, we need to go to war with Iraq. Like, like this right. is like the same thing as like pa- the, some Palestinian terrorists have murdered a lot of innocent people. We should bomb Iran. Like, it's just like, <laughs> Jesus. That's literally you're... what they're doing. But they're, but the, I mean, this time they're doing a, a better job at like, um, you know, they've been laying this framework for long, long time. I've been alive, you know, basically yeah. that, that, uh, you know, they always call it these Iranian back militias. It's like, like, look, I'm sure they do to some extent, but like, there's also just a tremendous amount of enmity towards the American empire. And it doesn't take much incentive. Like these guys could just be arming them. And then these dudes just hate us. And then they attack. Like, I'm not at all certain. Like I would have to have hard evidence that like the leaders of Iran are instructing these people to do this. And I, and they're never going to deliver that. No, no, not at all. Have routinely threatened to wipe Israel off the map. In recent weeks, Iran's proxies have repeatedly attacked U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria, whose mission is to prevent ISIS from renewing Get its rampage. Get out of my Syria! So, let me say this before this council. Jesus Christ. And let me say what we've consistently said to Iranian officials through other channels. The United States does not seek conflict with Iran. Bullshit. We do not want this war to widen. But... If Iran or its proxies attack U.S. personnel anywhere, make no mistake, we will defend our people, we will defend our security swiftly and decisively. To all the members of this council, if you, like the United States, want to prevent this conflict from spreading, tell Iran, tell its proxies, in public, in private, through every means, do not open another front against Israel in this conflict. Do not attack Israel's partners. And we urge members to go a step further. Make clear that if Iran or its proxies widen this conflict and put more civilians at risk, you, you will hold them accountable. Act as if the security and stability of the entire region and beyond is on the line. Because it is. Oh, fuck these guys, man. man. <laughs> these people scared the shit out of me. And it's just it's amazing how little respect, like, <sighs> like I, it's so weird to think about the way I used to see stuff, right. you know, like, like the framing that I once had in college yeah, and high too. school and stuff. Like I used to actually listen to these people and take them seriously to some extent. Like I can't, it's like, I, I used to have that same way with news reporters, right? right? Is when like they're reading off the teleprompter and now I'm just like, I, I listen to podcasts. I listen to you. I listen to Joe Rogan. I listen to people who actually talk. And then I go back to that and I think people are still watching this and yeah. think that it's real. Think that, that it's something like that person, that person that I just watched did not say anything that had anything to do with what they think or say. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a genuine moment on that entire <laughs> 20 minute segment. Um, and it was, and it's it, just like let, that's let me, that's how I feel when I watch these yeah, let, assholes let destroy the planet. The way I hear it, because I'm sure many of my audience hear it similarly, but some probably hear it differently. Mm-hmm. All I hear is laying the framework by which you justify a full on invasion of Iran. That's all yeah. I hear. I don't. Hear all that. I hear is Iran is, is is think about what's happening in Israel. Think about the people being killed. Think about the people being killed in Palestine and how evil all the all the perpetrators of this are. Iran. Right. Like, like, like think about Iran. 
Every, just... every single terrible video you've seen over the past two weeks. Also, I ran. Yes. I mean, for those that aren't uh, or don't. We don't want this to get worse. Please don't. Please, please don't bomb. Please don't do the things that we are doing. I ran. <laughs> I ran. Evil. Terrible. I ran. Every everything that we're saying that Iran needs to stop, yeah, yeah, sure, we've been doing that forever and ever and ever. Uh, but we're the good guys, so it's okay. It's like, look, I just don't take this seriously anymore. And we're the good guys who do bad things instead of the bad guys that do bad things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but it was, uh, I think it was, oh God, I'm blanking on his name now. It's not General McChrystal. It was the other guy, the Seven. Anyways, oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Um. I, I've played it on my show a couple of weeks ago, but the uh, you know the the seventh nation that we were going to topple in five years was Iran, and, mm-hmm. and it has been twenty years since he said that, and it's like still it's, working on that propaganda. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're still still trying, and and it's so it's so disappointing because you know they the Obama administration probably the only good thing they did was uh, get that that denuclearization treaty uh where iran would stop and they'd have inspections and blah 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 and probably the worst thing that trump did was get out of that and he was pretty good on foreign policy aside from that but that was fucking catastrophic because now it's opened this door back up for all the lindsey grams of the world to make these baseless just another excuse yeah exactly that they that they're minutes away from a nuclear bomb bb netanyahu has been the the top liar when it comes to this topic forever he's he's gone on capitol hill he's held up that big big white sign with the black cartoon bomb (laughs) like like they're this many minutes away and it's just been a lie for fucking 40 years it's been a lie um but my fear is that because so many people have been activated because of hamas's you know atrocious attacks against civilians uh, that you will have a lot of people with you know willingness to reconsider these claims again uh i'm just curious what your thoughts are so i'm actually a little bit more hopeful uh than i think um a lot of people are um and the reason is is because of the level it's something that i've talked about a number of different times i'm sure i've talked about it on this show um is the splintering of the narrative the splintering of the political consensus is and the the fascinating thing is that both support for Israel and Palestine, support for Ukraine and Russia, and the the disparate voices and the conflict over these things are completely global. Like you see protests everywhere. It's not one place, it's not one country with one view. Yeah, it's wild. all over the place and it's wild. And and we're talking massive protests, you know, yeah. but, but before we get too optimistic, I, I do need to point out many of those people in those crowds are, you know, really like against colonialism and they're like communists. And, and sure. I mean, I it's it sucks because I'm I find myself in alignment with them on this <laughs> you know, to some. Extent. Yeah. But yeah. I'm like I'm like simultaneously. It's... They would absolutely you know, kick me out of my house and say that I'm a capitalist pig and absolutely. Absolutely. So there's, there's that element. I want to make sure I'm framing properly why I think it's a good thing. I'm not saying that it's because there's overwhelming support for one thing or another, or that one side is good or has the right image or, or the right thing that they're vouching for, so to speak. 
but just that there's not consensus on doing one thing. That's a great I think point. that is the good thing. That is a good um, yeah. And you think about like war with Iraq after September 11th and Bush. It was like 98%. Like it was, it was like, it was so overwhelming. Like the idea of def arguing against it was just absurd. Yep. Like you would have been laughed out of the room and there would, there wouldn't even have been a conversation. There is a shocking amount of disconsensus of, of pushback against the idea that it's good to be in Ukraine, like the amount of mocking of the money that we're sending Ukraine, the the amount of people who are just like, oh, great. Now we're is Israel and Palestine and the people who are like Palestine's a freaking open air prison. They have literally been under martial law. They haven't had the slightest thing even resembling basic freedom since like 1967. Of course, they're fucking pissed off. And then the other side who are like. Look at the, the the staggering amount. Like, look at the horrific shit that Hamas has done. I've been like tortured by the 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 swing the the seesaw of like the people who've been raped and killed by Hamas in the in the attack, and then the babies with their heads blown off in Palestine. And I'm just like, horrific. just just stop, just yeah. stop it for Christ's sake. You're both like everybody is just is just saying, look at this this like group or these like some subset of perpetrators or government and this set of perpetrators and corrupt government. Now I'm going to bomb all of your civilians. And <laughs> it's it, so, it, so fucked up. Oh, there's a great quote by um, uh, the author who um, I can probably find this really quick. The author of Persepolis um, uh, <clears throat> author, Iran, she's an Iranian. Well, um, while you do that, let me play this this clip real quick because it's uh, Mark Lamont Hill, who was actually fired from his job because of you know Clint, what I consider baseless claims of anti-Semitism. Oh, he he got his payback here. This is an incredible interview. Um, it's an Israeli official. I don't know his name or title, but you, mm -hmm. you'll hear it. The UN, Antonio Guterres, said that he was deeply distressed by Israel's, Israel's announcement of a siege on the Gaza Strip. He said that the humanitarian situation quote, will only deteriorate exponentially and that crucial life-saving supplies, including fuel, food, and water, must be allowed into Gaza. So the UN is saying you must do this. You are saying you're not going to do this. Um, how do you... No, we're not, we're not saying that. He's saying, do it, yeah, he's saying say doing it immediately. What I'm saying is what, you, what you're doing. No, no. He's saying doing it, doing, okay. doing it immediately. I, yeah. I got you. I'll tell you exactly what we're saying. I'm saying we will do everything for the Gazan people. Once and now, we demand immediate surrender, unconditional surrender of Hamas. If Hamas people come out with their hands up and clear their weapons, believe me, everything will be restored to Gaza. It is Hamas in Hamas hands. That, okay, if now I understand. That, thank you for clarifying that, sir. I, I, think, I, think, I think we're actually on the same page here. You're saying that once Hamas leaves, you'll, you'll grant the, the, the Gazan people food, shelter, fuel, electricity, hospitals, schooling. And, in, and if they don't, and, and if Hamas doesn't leave, then they'll continue to starve and die in hospitals. You are defining for the international community right now collective punishment. You're saying until until Hamas acts differently, the two million people like in Gaza are going to be treated this way. And once Hamas acts differently, these two million people in Gaza will be treated better. That is exactly what collective punishment is. You're holding this exactly what Hamas the did. actions of others. That That's is the, the same shit that the Hamas did. Definition of, of, of collective punishment, sir. Now, you may you, you may accept that that's what you want to do. But this is absolutely a contravention of international law. Ooh. 
Exact same thing Hamas did. That was a great rant. That was a, that was, I love that. I, I, I just loved it because I, I saw the trap coming a mile away. Yeah. I was like, I was like, please tell me he's taking it here. Cause I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I know what he's doing. I know what he's doing. And then he's like, anvil, anvil to this dude. Bam. It's, but it's what Mike it is. drop. That's what exactly it what it is. It's fucking collective punishment. But see, this is, this is what drives me crazy. And I think this is what all, you know, true non-interventionist libertarians and anti-war people feel in these times. It's like, if you've been in the stock market for any length of time, I'm sure you've noticed ah, there's a little bit of volatility. Well, UBS shows that private assets like fine art can help diversify with a low correlation to stocks. Bloomberg reports art prices increased in 2022 to the highest total sales ever for major auction houses. And in 2023, the art market has passed its pre-pandemic levels. Tens of thousands of everyday investors already use today's sponsor, Masterworks, to invest in art. You don't need millions or art expertise. Every Masterworks sale to date has delivered a positive return to their investors, including annualized net returns of 10, 17, and even 35% all this year. Masterworks' most recent 16th exit was just days ago at the end of August for a double-digit 13.4% annualized net return. Not too shabby. My listeners get special access to skip the wait list. Just go to masterworks.art slash lockdown. Past performance doesn't guarantee future returns. Any investing involves risk, including loss of principal. See important disclosures at masterworks.com slash CD. That's masterworks.art slash lockdown. Check it out. We're, for, we're pigeonholed into sounding as if we stand for a side. And yeah. it's, like, it's like, no. It's because they can't think about it outside of that framing. I know. It, it's I, which well, side do you think? It's like, how can you not understand that? There is an explicit group of people who did an explicit thing, and right. there is an explicit group of people who have done explicitly bad things in reverse. Right. And then there are just other people, <laughs> lots and lots of other people. And our concern and, is for the other people. Yes, yeah. and you are killing all of those other people and saying, but look at the explicit group that did an explicit thing. Right. It's like, but what about the other people? <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> I, I share your same uh, anger towards the explicit people. Yes. <laughs> it's the other people that I'm, that I'm I wish you would give... stop shooting. Yes. That I'm trying because to give voice for killing all of those other people is why those explicit people excused the thing that they did to the other, other people. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I love how we just, you know, made that, made that very, uh, abstract, but it's, it's the truth. I mean, cause that the whole, the whole reason that I, you know, oppose Hamas is not because they're fighting for liberation, but because they went after civilians. They <laughs> just like, went into a concert. Yeah. They just well, went into a concert and started killing people. And people's homes and, and they kidnapped people. I mean, they did. <sighs> so they did, messed up. What they did was all, uh, you know, it was justified from their end based off of the mistreatment that they've received in terms of criminal acts from Israel. <clears throat> and then those are legit. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't justify that response because you don't yeah. go after civilians, you don't kidnap kids and women and children and do all this stuff. Like there's there's just there's lines and and I think that's now because that atrocity has already happened. I can't do anything to stop that. All I can do now is say, hey, the current atrocity that's happening, I mean, there's still bombs from Hamas that are going into into Israel, and that's terrible too, and I would love to see that stop. But the, the more imminent and catastrophic loss of life right now is the bombing campaigns and the, the water being cut off, the power being cut off from hospitals for the injured, for thousands of children that are already deceased and many that are hanging on for life by a thread, and we're just sitting here going, well, Hamas did a thing. 
So yeah. You know, so whatever. These kids, these kids it's the equivalent. It's, it's the equivalent. I think. Like, I always like to break it down to like an analogy between like a couple of people. Like, so let's say you put me in a cage. You, you're, you're, you know, the little tyrant, and you completely control my life. Anytime I post anything that you don't agree with, you come in and you beat me for a couple of hours, and like I'm just on total lockdown. Over my entire life, right? This is from when I was younger. There is no better way to create an absolute and total hate of who you are in me. It's to right. just be a total, complete control and just lack of even my humanity, the beginnings of what I, what I deserve as a human, simply to exist and have control over my life. Right. And then I break out of your little cage and then I go shoot your sister and rape her dead body and then slit her kids' throats. Yep. It's like, I understand why someone would hate so much to go do that, but they're not any better. Like, you know, like they're still horrific. Like I should have killed you because yeah. you were the terrible person. Well, and I won't, still, I won't, still... I, I do. I do like you. I just wanted to let <laughs> no, there. I mean, there's still, it's still monstrous, you know, like yeah. even if like I can understand it's like, it's like a, a slave revolt. You know, like if a slave revolt, if the, the slaves come off, I, people are going to get mad at me for this metaphor, but it's, I th still think it's true. If you, if a slave, you know, breaks free from his chains off his plantation and he goes into the slave master's house and he kills the slave master's daughter, yeah. it's like, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't justify the, all the treatment he was receiving for forced labor for decades. It's that's all terrible too, but it's not okay to then go kill his innocent daughter who had yeah. no, no say over the terrible treatment that you were receiving. And I think that's kind of like what we're seeing here is just like, uh, a lot of justifiable anger from both sides, but in the in the crossfire is like more of the reason that everyone has a justification is being created simultaneously in the loss of innocent lives. I, I just I can't stand seeing any more innocent babies pulled out of rubble and being told and being lectured to that I'm a fucking I'm a I'm the problem that I don't want to see more of this. It's like yeah. what? I'm the problem about? because I'm 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 sharing videos or I retweeted a video of the wrong baby being just demolished, mm -hmm. like just being killed. Um, and Sad. so the the quote though, um, uh, said uh, it's uh, Marjane or Marjan Satrapi. Um, uh, she's a graphic novelist that did Persepolis. Which you even, if you haven't seen Persepolis, you've read and or seen Persepolis, it's really good. Okay. Um, uh, she says, the world is not divided between East and West. You are American. I am Iranian. We don't know each other, but we talk and we understand each other perfectly. The difference between you and your government is much difference than the bigger is much bigger than the difference between you and me. And the difference between me and my government is much bigger than the difference between me and you. And our governments are very much the same. Mm. And Beautiful. like, it's that inability to separate the people like that. That was, that was my realization when, cause I was in full support of like nuking Iraq, you know, back in the day, um, I made jokes about like Iraq and I think about it and I was like angry. I was like self-righteous anger about it. Right. Um, and I think about it now is that like, imagine somebody hates Trump or Biden and then just decides that they can nuke everybody, right? everybody.
every anarchist, everybody who's done nothing but rail against Trump and Biden during that time. And all, all I can think is that like, there's some libertarian in Palestine right now. There's some libertarian in Israel right now, both of which are victims of all of this. Right. And we're just putting them in a big bucket of like right. Hamas and, you know, Israeli Zionists or whatever the hell. And we're just, it's, all their lives are forfeit. And it just, it's not going to get anything but worse if we can't even have like a little bit of common sense right. about separating perpetrators from just normal people. And it's definitional collective punishment as it's, it's collective punishment. That's exactly right. Lamont Hill pointed out. And, and yeah. um, you know, but to be clear, what Hamas <clears throat> did was collective punishment too. And, and that's yeah. also not, okay. that's why it's wrong. That's why it was wrong. It's this is wrong for the exact same reason exactly. is the exact same ide ideology put in a mirror. Like, but, but for some reason, because people believe that history started two weeks ago, they go, yeah. well, the opening salvo came from Hamas. So those Palestinian kids, don't you don't you shed a tear for them? It's like, yeah. no, I'm gonna fucking shed a tear for any kid, okay? That's blown yeah. up for no fucking reason. Like, what are, what are we even talking about here? And it, it, you know, it's frustrating too because, generally speaking, I try not to give lip service to conflicts all over the world, just simply because I usually it'll be used as justification from the American Empire to go fuck it up worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. in this case. The, the American empire has already chosen its side. You know, it's mm -hmm. already on the Israeli side. It's, there's already lip service about, we will defend them to the end of the earth, you know, forevermore, no matter what, like all of the platitudes that are just totally psychotic, like things that you probably wouldn't even say about your wife. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, no matter what she does to me, I will be with her <laughs> to the end of time. And it's like, well, but what if she, you know, <laughs> anyways, I won't, I won't go down the hypotheticals of all the terrible things that your wife might do to you. But, um, it's just we should just, we should take the next 10 minutes <laughs> it's just it's just bizarre it's just bizarre claims of allegiance to a foreign nation that like we don't even offer that same allegiance to states within our union yeah <laughs> like we wouldn't offer that same they don't even like florida that much i was just gonna say the governor <laughs> of florida we don't even offer that kind of kindness towards uh you know red states in the country it's it's fucking it's bonkers but um i wanted to uh to play mcconnell justifying the expenditures on how it is it is benefiting our economy as you would expect him to try and frame bless it <laughs> it is all interconnected and you've said that you believe there is enough oversight of aid to ukraine why hasn't that persuaded some members of the of the republican caucus if you look at the ukraine assistance let's let's talk about where the money is really going a significant portion of it's being spent in the United States in 38 different states, replacing the weapons that we sent to Ukraine with more modern weapons. So we're rebuilding our industrial base. That's what President Biden's seeking to do. It's, it's correct. No Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. <laughs> we're re rebuilding our industrial base. Uh, the Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals, I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful that they're defending yeah. themselves. And also the notion that the Europeans are not doing enough. They've done almost $90 billion. They're housing a bunch of... I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't listen to it anymore. Um, yeah, it hurts. This, this is the conservative 
party in America. I can't see anything wrong with the government spending, spending billions and billions of dollars to build bombs and saying that that's economic growth. Jesus <clears throat> Christ, man. People, so man. I, I still can't. It's so funny. We have, we have so much conflation with representation, representations of things rather than the actual thing. Mm. So like this idea, this notion is funny. as like our, our, the metrics that we care about too, like GDP is a perfect example of this because GDP, GDP went up in 2020. If you could not have a more perfect example of why that metric means fucking nothing. Like if you just print a shit ton of money and put it in the economy, GDP goes up. You can burn every factory in America, but as long as like, uh, there's a joke of an economist, uh, two economists are walking down the street, right? And there's a turd, uh, there's a, there's a turd on the sidewalk. And he says, I'll pay you a hundred dollars if you, if you eat that pile of shit. And he says, okay, he eats a pile of shit and he takes the, takes a hundred dollars and go down. There's another turd. And he says, you know, I'll pay you a hundred dollars if you eat that pile of shit. <laughs> and the other one eats the pile of shit and he gets a hundred dollars back. And one of the economists says, one of the economists says, uh, uh, what did we, did we do any, do we even do anything here? I feel like, I feel like nothing. We just both ate a pile of shit. And the other economist says, GDP went up by $200. <laughs> I, knew, I knew where the punchline was coming, but my God, that's hilarious. That is, that's so true. That's, so, like, that's exactly how they view it. And the, the thing is, is that the only economic value that makes any sense is when money reflects the fact that growth is occurring. Like mm. you can't manipulate the money and cause growth. Like growth is a natural thing. Like if I just, if I have a bunch of tools and a bunch of parts at my house and then I take the time to put it into a lawnmower and now I have a capital good and I can mow my lawn easier, I, nobody needed to print money. Money was never even a part of the factor. Like I just made it happen. I, I, I'm, I'm the one who created it. And the fact that it is now on the market means that there is more value in the market. But that cannot be measured objectively. You can't just like nominally point to like, oh, there's more value out there. It's a qualitative measurement. There's nothing qualitative about GDP. You could, we could all shift from making useful things and sandwiches and internet and, you know, all of these beautiful things that make our lives better. And we could make twice as much shit for everyone to eat right. and GDP would go up, right. but it would mean nothing. It would be absolutely meaningless. So what we've done is we've, it's, it's, it's the broken window fallacy over and over and over again is the idea that we have three windows in society. And if we break one, because we have to replace it, that's economic activity. When really what happened is we went from three windows to two windows. Like we just got poor, period. If it was even remotely, remotely possible that you could just spend a whole bunch of money on a war and it would be great for, um, it would be great for society, it would cause growth. Well, then why wouldn't we just spend hundreds of trillions of dollars every single year just making a bunch of stuff and then, and then a bunch of battleships and stuff and just ship it out into the middle of the sea and blow it all up? Like, why do we have to kill people? Like, why, why can't we just infinitely blow shit up? I mean, that, it's just, that's so obviously rational. It's elementary. Rational. It's, yeah, it's like elementary, basic yes. common sense, but, you know? But yet, but yet we're considered the fringe. Yeah. <laughs> like Mitch McConnell sitting up there with certitude. I, I'm just, I'm struggling to see anything wrong with that. There's nothing like, wrong. I'm struggling to see how the fuck you're not in an insane asylum <laughs> because because it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And also just the complete, uh, you know, 
ignoring of the the value of the Ukrainian or Russian soldier's life in this in this uh, equation. Oh, no, Americans are dying. Yeah, he goes American. There's been no American troops that have died. Okay, <sighs> what about the half a million other human beings? Does mm-hmm. is the, does that go into your uh, equation whatsoever? And the truth is, it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's scary. It really that doesn't. is super fucking scary that you have leaders that have been in power for fucking decades and decades and decades that don't see any value in human life outside of America. And if we're being totally honest, they don't really have America. Either. They don't see fucking value in our lives either. They, they just know. They just know that the PR is such that they have to. They they need to be concerned at, be, at least about one because otherwise there's going to be a really bad Twitter clip. That... Yes. We ha- we have to pretend that we care about the U.S. troops. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we uh, we have put two uh, carrier strike groups and a couple thousand uh, troops in the line of fire in the fucking Mediterranean, right outside of a hot war zone with a bunch of fucking nations that all hate us, and we're just going to sit there and just wait to see if someone takes a pop shot at us, and if they do, well, Iran, we're going after you full fucking steam ahead. Yeah. I mean. This is so dangerous, and it's and I don't see the value in it. Like, like, here's the thing, and I've already explained this on my show before, but in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, I completely agreed. Whoever was responsible, we had to go after. Mm-hmm. But in this situation, like all of those lessons that we learned over the past 20 years, we need to extrapolate and apply them to today. Did we learn them? Well, you and I did. <laughs> yes. The vast majority yeah. of people did not. But but I'm I'm imploring people to like really reflect on the incredible loss of life and what did it get us? It got yeah. us nothing. It didn't get us justice. Fucking even Osama just more loss of life. Yeah, even Osama more loss of life in a shittier situation than when we started. Osama bin Laden got to live for another fucking 10, 12, 15 years, whatever it was. Like there's just no there's no justice to be found when you're talking about like global conflict. Like it just it doesn't ever come. It like you might be able to stop the bad guy, but like, in the process you become that. Like you end up killing countless innocents. And and I'm just imploring the Israeli side, which has a genuine grievance. Genuine. I'm not trying to downplay it at all. But you don't turn around and and then uh, eviscerate thousands of innocent kids inflaming all of the tensions of all of your neighbors which hate you they already do hate you and and many of them hate you for terrible reasons because it's just religious wars from eons ago and I'm, I'm not justifying any of that but they they hate you already and what are you going to do are you going to go and flatten gaza and give them all of the justification in the world have the have their people in the streets which by the way they already are they're already in their streets and they are already ready to come for your ass so are you going to give them a reason to by just uh, annihilating a million children in mm. which case now you've dragged the united states into this too and then and then once we're into it well then iran's in it russia's probably in it china probably moves on taiwan like we're talking one domino tip and then it's just like fucking chaos for yeah. evermore. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm praying to God that some, I don't even know how we can avoid it at this point. Like, I'm genuinely nervous as fuck, man. So sorry for the rant. No, no, I, I'm totally, I'm, I'm right there. Um, and you know, what's crazy is probably the only concrete result we'll get out of this is Hamas will get twice as many signups. Like, like every, every 13 year old, in the next five years, every thirteen-year-old orphan that they just made is going to be going to be easy pickings. Yep. Um, and every baby and infant is just going to be certain when they're seven years old that every single person in Israel is the absolute scum of the earth, the most evil shit that ever existed on the planet. Like you, you didn't help anything. 
and it, it doesn't you go back go back long enough and why does why did Hamas even become so relevant why did they become powerful well, it was because Israel funded them to get rid of the last guy PLO. <laughs> Like, like they were, can, can we, can you, can we say Al Qaeda? Can we, can we say ISIS? Can like, have have we not played this fucking fiddle like 30 times? We know exactly what the result of this is the same dynamic over and over again. And, and we never learn and people, and, and this is, this is actually a critique that I need to make public because, you know, I, I have got a lot of respect for Tim pool, but he just couldn't be more wrong about this. He, he was, he was, uh, yeah, that was really he was shredding this kid last night on his, on stressing me out. I couldn't even listen to it. (laughs) If people want to check it out, um, you know, it was, it was an interesting conversation, but, uh, you know, Tim just kept saying, why would we put into doubt the, the actual attack itself? Why would we put into doubt the Israelis, um, potential of standing down? I mean, for those that aren't are totally in the dark on what I'm talking about, there was about a seven hour gap between the invasion from Hamas and the IDF's response. That's fucking bizarre. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, this kid goes up there and he starts to deliver it as if it's a fact that, that Bibi Netanyahu gave a stand down order. I am not going to go that far, not even close to that far. My, my, the reason I, I asked the question. Exactly. The, the reason that these questions are so important is the same reason that like the question after nine 11 as to culpability is so important. If you don't get clarity before you start to go and blow people up, well, you get fucking atrocities. Yeah, <laughs> a million innocent people in Iraq alone. Not to mention all of the, all of these other nations that have been toppled. Six, seven nations that have been toppled as a consequence of our war on terror, and and all under false pretenses of of WMDs. You have to get clarity. You can't like he's he's shaming this kid for asking the que- or for for making the claim. I'll I'll agree with him. The kid shouldn't have made the claim, but he should ask that question. And it's it's mm-hmm. a fucking totally valid absolutely must have an answer question before you give a total blank check to the idf to respond in kind if we don't even know why it's why it went down like we just don't know and and it's like this is why in my opinion the non-interventionist even the conspiracy uh, conspiracy theory minded libertarian uh sect is so important in these times mm-hmm. it's like we have to point out you have to, all you of have the to. old false flags and all of the other nonsense that has got us into a bunch of fucking war. Like almost every war in our lifetimes and far longer than that have been predicated off of lies. But I'm not allowed to, to question it in the early stages of it. Like, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. It's literally called the fog of war right. because it's recognized that you have no idea what the truth is. Yep. That you just have no idea. And you now that's the thing that drove me crazy about Tim. And I mad respect for Tim. I, I listen to a show. Um, and I usually agree with a lot of what he says, but put Bitcoin off to the side. He has some <laughs> kind of silly, kind of silly perspectives on that sometimes. Um, but uh, uh, he, he was talking about how, like, because the hospital thing was turned out to be fake. Um, which I still haven't even seen like concrete evidence. It's just yeah. like everybody now I, accepts that it's fake. So it's just like. It's whatever i'm okay okay good so you've seen i'll trust you i'll no, no, i'm not no, no, i'm not no, no. no i don't know i'm not gonna verify because i'm just trying to stay away from all this shit right now right. um granted i'm sitting here talking to you for a fucking hour and a half about it um <laughs> oops but uh um uh and he was talking about like oh well then i can't believe anything that's in support of palestine at all i love i love where you're going with this and i was just like no 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 you can't believe anything from anybody exactly you you can't believe you cannot the the last thing you should ever let that do 
is let you form a concrete bias in one direction <laughs> yes. is that you should just realize that it's all bullshit and that we have to, we are going to take a very long time and that we need to take, we need to be extremely particular about what we accept as truth yeah. at all. You think the IDF, you think the Israelis, the Americans aren't lying. You think you think you think all of this isn't peppered with horseshit from top yeah. to bottom. I saw what is essentially an advertisement for, you know, is like it was like how great it is and how women friendly the Israeli the Israeli military was. And I'm just like, God bless. It's nothing but propaganda, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, you, just the just the forty babies story. We just had a week ago where there was like obvious lies that were coming from the other side. And then on top of that, if you want to go historical, my goodness, man. Israel's Nobody has a good record record of shit. It's just or, all lies. Or, no, but I know, but I mean, I, I'm just saying like documentable, provable track record of false flags yeah. from the yeah. Israeli government. That's yeah. a fact, folks. Look up Operation Susanna if you don't believe me. Look up the Liberty. I mean, like it just goes on and on. There's There's many examples of them using false pretenses to justify a wider war. And, the, and I'm not, I'm not like singling them out. The United it's States human nature. A ton. It's human <laughs> so. nature. It is literally when you, when you feel so viciously justified in some stance that you're going to murder someone else, that you're, you're excusing the, in, the destruct, like chopping off kids heads because they're on the other side. Right. Who, who is going to have an issue with lying about it? Yeah, exactly. Who is going to like, you're already talking about orders of magnitude worse than simply lying. Exactly. Like they already feel justified. They're not going to have the slightest bit of problem in just fibbing in just right. telling the story. It's like, okay, well, yeah, it was an apartment complex, but maybe it was a hospital. And you know, like every single person in this feels so justified and so certain that these are the bad guys they will say whatever the hell they want. It's the same shit with the climate change. It's, it's why the the whole um, it's just a, a subtler, more like official, you know, like a professional version of the exact same problem is. Uh, and it's so funny, like climate gate was like a huge thing. And it's like we just completely forgot about that. It's just right. like, no, we have emails of them saying, no, you should make the the chart look worse and you can do it this way and we're going to we're going to remove this data because this doesn't work for us and it's too dangerous for the public to know the truth and then we're still using those charts we're still it's referring like, to that data like we know it's horseshit in so many different ways and it's just been purposely but, but, manipulated for but the it narrative doesn't matter because if if we don't do what we've already been saying we need to do then the world ends then the world so ends. obviously we have to, and so and, we have to and, show the data to make sure that it looks like the world's going to end exactly and <laughs> and, and uh, sure we lied but like we still know we're right so like yeah. it's okay that we lied this but is like the exact, everywhere it's this everywhere. is the exact same rationale that has been used for russia gate against donald trump yep. uh, about all of the persecution of the trump supporters too it's like <laughs> Trump is an existential threat to our democracy. So do you think that they have any qualms with lying about you know, claims not. against him? They don't. Yeah. They've demonstrated over and over again. They don't have any. Trump raped any. babies. Like, What's so that? Trump raped babies. So it's like, <laughs> just, just make it up. Don't, don't check it. We just got to get rid of Trump. He's a Nazi. He's a literal Nazi. Does it yes. matter? Does it matter if Hitler didn't rape babies? If well, we this, say he did, if we got rid of Hitler? Whole, this, this is the whole issue with, with you know, turning someone into being subhuman in some fashion. And like, yeah. this is, this is, a, yeah. this is a standard practice in warfare. You have to do that so that you can justify atrocities from your own side. And that's what we're doing. And I, I've heard people, uh, you know, and, and for the record, let me, let me also be clear. I've heard this from both sides. I've heard a mm -hmm. lot of people that, that are 
not fond of the Israeli government extrapolate this to the Jewish people. And I don't, I don't appreciate it. I don't, I, I know a lot of Jewish people and I love a lot it's, of Jewish people. It's easy to do. And it's, but yeah. it's easy to do. And I, and I, but I hate it. I hate so it. So far, we're all so distant from it and it's so hard. And this is, you know, I get like super judgmental and like accusatory. I can't believe they're doing this and they're doing this. But, but you got to remember that we're so distant from these things and we have no conception of what a million people is. Like it, it is, it is genuinely a computational problem with the human brain. Mm -hmm. is that we just don't know how to separate the individual from the group. Yep. And we we do not know how to make sense of something that is 6,000 miles away and has, this, has these numbers with all these commas and zeros in it. And, and it, how can it not just be that there's a good guy and a bad guy and we should side with the good guy? Right. And it just happens to be that underneath, underneath my conception of the good guy is like 70 million people. <laughs> and 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 vice versa you know um but there's no there's no additional complexity there's no like right. well under like, the conception of the bad guy there happens to be a million innocent children yeah. <laughs> like like and and you know because you've decided which is good and bad well now the, you know whatever happens to them happens to them but I, i've seen the, the the flip side of this really disturbs me too is like like just because the israeli <clears throat> government is is guilty of terrible things does not mean that all jews are and, and, you know, it'd be the same nonsensical position to hold against all Americans, you know, yeah. even Americans that voted for Trump or Biden to believe that they're responsible or they have culpability for the actions of that person as they they lied to them through their teeth to get into that position of power. And then they go and they carry out atrocities. And now, you know, Osama bin Laden holds the Americans to account on 9-11 or Vladimir Putin nukes us because fucking, you know, Condoleezza Rice lied <laughs> about about, yeah. uh, you know, the, the red line memo in 2000. 11 or something you know it's like it's like it's all it's all one it's fundamental all error just applied in every yes, direction exactly it's, it's the same car with exactly. endless coats of paint yes and it and i fucking hate the car <laughs> yeah it's a shitty <laughs> car and we should stop driving it yeah, get out of the car driving this goddamn car well that yeah. was a fun fun uh, little walk down a metaphor lane all right let's uh, <laughs> let's let's wrap with this um it's uh tucker carlson with uh colonel douglas mcgregor it was on yesterday and i just wanted to uh, you know Douglas McGregor has been very good on the Russia-Ukraine war. He has got some of his predictions wrong, but I think in terms of general trajectory, he has been far, far better than the average talking head on TV. Interesting. Uh, he's, been, okay. he's been a little bit more pessimistic uh, you know, in terms of Ukrainians' ability to defend themselves, but I, I also think that he was probably right in the sense that like, he didn't ever expect that there would be all of nato would just fund and arm them to the end of the earth as mm. they have so you know i want to point out something that is if israeli didn't have uh, israeli if israel didn't have like insanely strict gun control probably a lot less people died for sure man just yeah. just saying i I, I think that's actually a, an important point to make is like all of these conflicts if there's one lesson you should take away from all of it that happened at a redneck concert in north carolina it'd have been fine <laughs> we've been fine it was like Two, three yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's I, like I, bob we, we lost bobby <laughs> <laughs> but that motherfucker got it right back uh no it's like the gun control debate just has to be over it just yeah. has to be over like we've been locked in our houses for three years they've printed us into oblivion they're bankrupting us all and now you have fucking hot wars and terrorism that's breaking out oh also we have open borders with people that we don't know who the fuck's coming across and we can continue to create enemies abroad uh, like if you don't think you need to be armed at this point i don't know what you're looking at and if you mm. think that gun control is the answer you're out of your fucking mind dude. <laughs> all right sorry let's uh let's bring in D colonel douglas 
McGregor with Tucker Carlson. What, what would happen then? Well, all of the bases that we have in Iraq and Syria, unfortunately, where we still have over a thousand Americans, all of those would be targeted. And this time they would target them accurately and this destruction would be wholesale. I would expect trouble here at home and in the United States because of the open border. Hezbollah has a very large operation in Mexico. There are no doubt many, many, many Hezbollah agents inside the United States. We can only begin to imagine the kind of trouble they could cause. The missile and space program in Iran is very, very advanced, as is their cyber warfare capability. All of these things would be brought to bear against us. But what's most important, I think, for Americans to understand is if we attack Iran on the basis of Hezbollah's alleged willingness to attack Israel, if Israel invades Gaza, we will end up in a fight with Russia. Russia will not sit by quietly and watch Iran destroyed by the United States air and naval power in the region. And once Russia enters this, uh, it, it becomes much more than just a local conflict, maybe more than just a regional war. Uh, we haven't thought this through. We need to do that. And I doubt seriously at that point that the Turks would be able to stay out. The Turks are Sunni Muslims. They are the de facto leaders of the Sunni Muslim world. They have the largest armed forces in the region. They are in close proximity to Israel. They could move forces south through Syria very rapidly. And I'm sure Bashar al-Assad, assuming he even survives the opening of this campaign, would not obstruct them. Fuck. <laughs> and. I don't have much more to add to it other than, holy shit, man. I mean, it, I, the reason I wanted to play it is because it's just, I think it's just really important that people have a somber reflection on like what your support, your little tweets and your little fucking Facebook posts in this moment could lead to, you know, yeah. just giving a blank check to go like, well, we're, we, we can't look weak. We can't look weak guy. We got to fucking, we got to flex our dicks and threaten these motherfuckers. It's like, look. It can get out of control real fast. Like we're we've already been playing with fire yeah, for not a long only, time with Ukraine. So not only could the dominoes fall, like you can just kind of see that there's only a few dominoes in the run. Right. Like, like you can see exactly which ones would fall. Yep. Um and the the reason the reason I'm still hopeful. Um, like you know, like it's easy it's easy to be doom and gloom about it all. But when I really think, especially, granted, you know, how, how clear of a vision do we have on what happened in World War One and World War Two? But the, it seems it's not unlike what happened with 9-11, is that there was just staggering amounts of support and there was an overwhelming singular consensus as to what to do. Um, and even if, I really don't see that happening again. I really kind of feel, and I think this is why there's so much attacks against misinformation and so many pushes for censorship is because it is slipping. Yep. And I do not see this kind of universal broad support of, yeah, let's just run right into this world war from an enormous subset of people. And I think there's this kind of, this um, intolerant minority that essentially needs to hold the line. There are, there are millions of people every day watching Tucker's show, 
pushing back in the opposite direction. There's tens of millions of people watching Joe Rogan, who has a completely different take on this. There's people watching you. There's people watching all of us that are getting some semblance of nuance or pushback on, quote unquote, the narrative, right? right? The, the consensus as to what it is. And if you do not have that sort of complete control over what people should think, that can go against them. That's an massive amount. That's a massive liability. That's a, that's a huge weight against everything they're, that they're trying to accomplish, especially as more and more pain is piled on. And, you know, this is something that I've been talking about for, Jesus, 10 years, really. Like the, the whole time I've been in Bitcoin and we're kind of like trying to look at this, the big trend, like the, the fourth turning sort of generational shift that we're going to go through. And it almost always is paired with a ton of really bad wars and huge political and geopolitical shifts and all of this stuff. The reason why, so it, it was inevitable that it came to this. It's just, I mean, I guess a little bit of morbid, morbidly fascinating the, the way that it's, you know, unfolding, but so much of it is the, the lack of political cohesion, the lack of like that com that, that dominant power of the U S and so everybody's taking advantage of the fact that because it's the that that dominant overarching power is no longer there. Everybody's taking their opportunity to grab their little piece yep. to be like, oh, I, you know, I don't really have to worry about the U.S. for at least the first two bombs. You, you know, like I don't have to worry about like, you know, I can I can invade Ukraine. I can eh, let's look at let's look at Taiwan again. Hong Kong worked out for us. You know, so everybody's just. The, the facade of like whatever the U.S. says goes, whatever the Western powers want is, is breaking. Yep. And so we're in this huge chaos of, well, so who has the power? What can I get away with? Everybody's pushing the boundaries of what is now turned out to be a good example um, or a good analogy is uh, the whole world has been. You ever heard the analogy of an elephant when they're baby? Um gets put to a giant stake or whatever and chained to it so they can't get away and they'll they'll pull and yank and and just do everything they can to get away from it and then slowly they'll learn that they can't mm -hmm. and then when the elephant is an adult they can just put like a little plastic stake and a rope and mm -hmm. the elephant will never try to pull away from it well the world is slowly realizing that it's just a plastic stake and a rope mm -hmm. and they're starting to tug at it and everybody's tugging at their rope and they're watching other people tug at the rope and they're like Maybe I can take my rope. Yeah, exactly. And so as that starts to break down, this is why this is why Bitcoin is the, the investment thesis, right? Is you cut you cut invest in something that's not attached to everybody's ropes, right. <laughs> that, that isn't dependent on all of this shit that is totally external to it. Well, the, the um, same metaphor applies to your your fiat savings. It's like mm -hmm. it's like I, yeah. I'm, I'm looking back at that. I'm like, oh, that's a fucking plastic stake. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have anything there. Yeah, yeah it's it's a towering. The towering, just just massive uh, series of liabilities, right? Um, and uh, and because of that, though, is with the consensus breaking down, it's really. I think it's going to be really, really hard to just like they'll try and they'll just start engaging in it without quote unquote permission from any of the people, and that will be. That's really the problem: is how bad can it get, and how many how many different groups of innocent innocent civilians can pay the price and cause enough anger to to get them to forget again mm. and but i don't see it yet in fact i see an enormous amount of pushback of, of people 
speaking and and even even the collectivists who are you know the right. pro pro Hamas that is actually help in the context of breaking down the fact that we're at least not all settled on exactly what to do because if we're all settled on exactly what to do and we pick the wrong thing that's terrible news yep. so the fact that we haven't been able to find consensus i think is a positive thing that maybe there won't be enough base pressure and if the fiat cracks are starting to show at the exact same time genuine generally that's a push for let's distract everybody with war and let's everybody get onto a consensus but i I wonder if part of it will also work against them because we're such a global environment now. Mm -hmm. um, and without a single hegemon, without it, without a kind of like singular global, um, global power, geopolitical power to, I guess, rely on or to default to, so to speak. Um, everybody's having internal resistance. Mm hmm. And and it's because of the global nature of information, whereas usually it's it's the U.S. resistance versus the Russia, you know, like it's it's like Russia's got it under control and the U.S. has got it under control and they have separate consensus narratives. Now we just kind of have like there's a bunch of people who believe a whole bunch of shit in Russia. There's a bunch of people who believe a whole bunch of shit in the U.S. and, you know, insert every other country. Right. And there's no longer internal consensus. We're separating at a lower level. And I think that actually helps to push against that, yeah. that coalescence, that convergence of all the capital and all the value going towards let's do world war three. Right. Um, no, that makes perfect so, sense, Ben. And, and I mean, to the, the same point actually applies to the kind of the GOP side that have like a real affinity for Vladimir Putin, which I don't. Uh, but yes, why? They, I don't, I don't, I don't get that one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either. But, but setting that aside, it's the same, it's the same phenomenon. Like I still appreciate their voices in this moment, like the Jackson Hinkles of the world, even though I think he may be a paid propagandist for Russia. I'm not really sure, um, <laughs> but I, I just like, I like having any sort of pushback against the, you know, corporate narrative or the military industrial complex narrative. And, and I think that applies to the, you know, pro Hamas people, which there's not a I mean, there's more than I would expect, but it's, I think most people are just pro-Palestinian. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. but regardless, your, your point is well taken that, you know, without uh, a capacity for unanimity, much less, you know, narrative control is really what they are lacking. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that, that gives us um, some real opportunities to, to avoid the worst possible outcomes. And, and ultimately I, I hope that their own, uh, you know, human survival instincts will kick in here at some point, realizing that the U.S. military is not what it once was, and a multi-front world war with a bunch of nuclear powers is simply not winnable. And if yeah. they can't, if they can't wrap their heads around that, well, then you know all hope is lost. But uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna rely on on the human desire for for survival and uh, yeah. pray we can get through this, and then continue to to speak out. I think that everybody that that has any sort of platform, or even those that don't. Uh, you know, just just start to talk to people about how serious this is and, and just be very cautious about giving any sort of verbal support to I stand with Palestine or I stand with Israel blank check, you know, like like just just realize that there's a lot of lot of uh, evil on on both sides of all wars. It just really is true. There's just mm -hmm. evil like war is evil. So, of course, there's yeah. evil on both sides of war and maybe we can avoid the biggest one. Yeah. Anyways, guy, and thank you so much for the time. I want to say I want to say one sure, one sure. thing about how to think about 
to stop this um, is the threshold that we need is I think both for Bitcoin to succeed and in a shorter time frame and also to put just enough pressure for to prevent this eventual disaster in the context of a potential World War Three is you need an intolerant minority. Yep. You need at the the supposed threshold rough is that 10% of a community of a group that absolutely refuses to budge. I will not entertain this whatsoever is often all that is needed to push the trend in the opposite direction and convert the entire group. We need to be willing to say no and to hold to that completely and say, I'm not fucking participating. We need to be the Muhammad Ali's. We are, we are, we will draft, we will dodge the draft. We will do it. We're not doing this. We are not playing your stupid fucking game. You are not going, we are not letting you destroy the world because if we get, if we're hopeless, then we're just going to sit back and let it happen. Yep. I actually think we can stop it. I do too. And all we need is 10%. I do too. And I think, uh, I think if we don't already have 10%, it's very fucking close. So yeah. uh, I am definitely not without hope. If I, if I was without hope, I'd be putting all of my Bitcoin into a fucking, <laughs> be doing a podcast. Uh, into a fallout shelter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I think I think we will avoid it, but it's just super important that we actually fucking talk what we can and and you know stand yeah. on our principles as loudly as humanly possible because this is this is really do or die time, you know. Yeah. Like I I, I, I made pleas to people during the COVID era. Fortunately, we got out of much of the uh, you know totalitarian panopticon medical health uh, framework that they were trying to foist upon us, and now it seems as if they're pivoting towards a, a global war. And God, God knows we can't afford that, and God knows we probably can't survive it. So it's a, it's a hard no. <laughs> Say it with your chest. A hard no, absolutely um, not. Yeah, go ahead and uh, tell people where they can follow you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you can get me on a uh, Noster uh, and Twitter or X, whatever the hell that thing is called anymore. Um, and uh, I'm at the guy Swan, and you can. My, I think my Noster key is right there too. If you want to hit me up over there, awesome. Um, and uh, check out Bitcoin Audible and AI Unchained, uh, and I got a lot of new video work and stuff coming. I'm trying to convert over to Rumble, um, but I'm the guy swan on Rumble and YouTube. You, you can usually just find me with that. Awesome. Well, if you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, please hit, they that did. One, hit that like button. It was fantastic. You know it was. Uh, <laughs> leave, leave a comment if you disagreed with anything. We said plenty of controversial shit, so if you want to argue with me, I do check the replies, and I will respond, unless you're rude, in which case I probably won't. Um, and then uh, hit that subscribe button. And uh, last but not least, if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com or go to X and uh, subscribe at Liberty Lock Pod. It's just five bucks a month. It just helps to keep the show moving and growing and marketing and all that shit. So we'll see you guys soon. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?